0: hello and welcome my name is mark my name is also mark and welcome to the marketing show just so we're clear we are both called mark that is correct join us each week as we understand the principles that make businesses succeed each week we'll lean into a new marketing concept to uncover a new piece of the puzzle
1: we're a couple of marketing guys who are passionate about the craft and always hungry to learn more. So we've embarked on a learning journey and we're excited to have you along for the ride.
0: And this week we'll be learning about... Search, search marketing! marketing. Woo! Top results. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Mark, sir, there's a, it's a big bad world of search out there. Indeed um, it is. It, it's a huge ocean. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting topic for us to learn about this week. Um, but just to be clear... Um, we're going to be splitting up search into two parts. One part being SEO, which is search engine optimization, and one part which is SEM, which is search engine marketing. Mm. So one of the first part, we could think about it as like the big shark, um, which would be the great white shark, which is search engine optimization, which is everything you do in the background to make sure your website or your digital content is amazing. And then we're talking about almost like the baby shark that follows along in a symbiotic relationship, which is search engine marketing, which exists with the big shark. It helps you push it along.
1: Yeah, I think it's an important distinction to make because I think a lot of people just focus on the SEM element and don't think about having the content, you know, right. And we'll get into what, what that sort of means. but. Um, yeah, it's almost like you have to have your house in order before you go ahead and start, you know, spraying and praying with search ads.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's um, it's really cool. It'll be cool for us to learn about how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let, let's, let's let's dive in. Yeah, well, speaking of interaction,
1: the way that I was thinking about it this week, and, um, you know, this is just sort of a layman's term version of it. It's definitely yeah. not an expert's opinion, but I sort of found that a lot of the time you the seo element of a campaign or of a brand's i guess strategy came into effect mostly at the top of the funnel so Mm. if you have people using search engines to sort of ask broader questions to learn more and to find information Mm. i felt like having that correct content um optimized was where that was most useful and as you got down the funnel into sort of conversion was when those search ads the marketing element came to be, I guess, more important because someone is actually looking to make a purchase and you want to just make sure you're there. Mm. Um, but again, you need to have the, the content and the landing page in order, when they do click on that ad. But anyway, that's sort of yeah. how I was thinking about how it sort of fits into the funnel.
0: No, definitely, it's a really, I think it's a really awesome um, analogy. and I guess the way I, I think about it when I draw it on a cocktail napkin as well, is that it's almost like SEO, SEO is like the river that supplies a salmon. And SEM S- e- is like the grizzly bear that waits um, at the end of that optimized content to mm. um, to catch the salmon. So I like it. Yeah. Um, and, and with that note,
1: <laughs> yeah. Why don't you give us a bit of a de- definition before we go too far on what SEO actually is?
0: Yeah. So um, outside of bears, salmons, and sharks, <laughs> um, SEO is the application of of the specialized expertise for the purpose of increasing the quality and quantity of organic earned natural and free um, optimizations of a digital asset Um, and in layman's terms really it's it's anything um, that can be searchable I mean if there's a search engine for it it's appearing within the top results for that Mm. Um, so I think the, when we think about search engine optimization, oftentimes you think about search engines, you think mm. about Google, you think about Yahoo, you think about Bing sometimes. Don't forget Bing. No, n- <laughs> never. Um, but within that, it's also important to know that there are other types of search engines that can also be optimized. Like, uh, our podcast appears uh, in different uh, platforms where you can search for it. And it's important for us to also make sure that we're optimizing our content for that. You could be an artist and you could be searching for something on Spotify, um, it's important to, to optimize um, or market yourself within that space as best as possible. Mm. Or you could even be on an online uh, retailer and there could be certain content that you could leverage when people are searching for products um, and the way you can optimize your your content and, and your brand to make yourself as visible as possible. Because yeah. as we know, if you're not on the first page of uh, any results, you're not on any page. So unfortunately, a lot of people don't click through that second page.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really great point to make. It's not just Google. Um, and yeah. it's not just specifically search engines or traditional search engines. Um, do you know what happens to be the second biggest search engine?
0: Is it is it Jeeves? No, he's not around <laughs> anymore.
1: <laughs> it is uh, YouTube. Wow! Yeah. yeah. So Google, then YouTube. I, I mean, I've got some actually stats and data, especially around Google, because it's just so. Amazing, as a as you know, it's got about ninety percent share as the latest stat I could find of yeah. all the search um, globally, and I think it's just yeah incredible how it sort of has a monopoly. So I actually found some fun facts to get us into sort of SEO world. Yeah, let's let's, let's log on. It. Let's log in. <laughs> um, so I've got a question for you. In twenty sixteen, what yeah. was the number one Google search globally?
0: Was it where are my keys?
1: <laughs> no funnily enough that doesn't rank um usually it doesn't get to the top <laughs> i don't think google's gonna help you there. <laughs> uh it was pokemon go
0: wow
1: so i think it's just a note to say that if you look at google search trends it usually paints a pretty clear picture of what was going on that year yeah. which is kind of interesting and you can drill down into countries as well you just go on to um if you just google google trends yeah um you'll find some cool stuff there um this one blew my mind, mm. 15% of all searches on Google have never been searched before.
0: Wow, mm. it's very um existential. Yeah, there's just new thoughts every day, new yeah. questions. Or new spelling mistakes from my end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've actually, we've got a case study on that later. Um,
1: but, but also it makes you think, um, you know, if you wanna do really well in SEO, how can you sort of predict a trend and, and mm. have the right content there? Um, there are sixty three thousand searches made every second, uh, and in twenty seventeen, this is the la- latest data I could find. At mm. least uh, Google's ad revenue uh, from
0: search Edge was, was ninety five billion dollars. Yeah, wow.
1: So it's it's a big big industry.
0: Yeah, definitely, yeah. and and for good reasons. Like we think about how many times you use it personally within a day. Mm.
1: Um, I, well, on average, three to five. Apparently.
0: Yeah, right. Wow. Th- I'm sure I'm cracking way above that. <laughs> <laughs> you got you to find out a lot of stuff. <laughs> exactly but um yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, um it's a huge uh huge part of our daily lives both as people but also as marketers so i think to to set this up as well like i realized that i didn't know that much about search engine optimization or Same. search engine marketing before we did this podcast mm-hmm. like i think that um i had learned bits and pieces of it at uni maybe it picked up bits and pieces from blogs but i think learning about it realizing that yeah it, like there are few experts in in there. And because it's an ever-changing space that um, an expert one day may not have the best up-to-date information because an algorithm can change overnight. And therefore, everything we knew about a mystical search engine might change just a little bit, Mm. Um, which I think was a really interesting, almost um, zen-like thought to be having about how we're all trying to understand, optimize, and crack something we don't really know 100% about.
1: Yeah, it's, you're right. I was the same. I actually realized I didn't know a lot of the technical details yeah. about this area of marketing. Uh, and I think it was also because we use it so much and I mean, it's a credit to the technology. It yeah. just works so naturally that yeah. you don't really think much about what's happening behind the scenes and how that content is being sort of, I guess, searched through the web and then served up to you. Uh, in terms of what's most relevant. So you you don't really have to think about it too much, it just works.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm. And I think um, the important distinction we need to make as well is that like, understand the way search engines work both for Google but for other engines as well is that they have a mystical being uh, that's a spider. Mm. They call it a spider that crawls through the internet. Um, And what that means is that it's trying to grab as many digital touch points as possible Mm. um, to see A, what content is out there and also validate whether that content is good or not. And that can be very different for big general search engines like Google, but it might be very different for specific targeted video um, rankings as well. So when I'm trying to learn about fly fishing, um, <laughs> late, late at night, which has been really weirdly interesting. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's crawling, and the algorithm options are going to be very different for that, as opposed to um, larger topics like the news. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to jump
1: into. So you've got this sort of spider thing that that's going across the internet and finding all the content, and and looking at what it's actually looking for. Yeah. Um. And I guess these are some of the things that you can start to work on optimizing. Mm. Um. To to improve your rank when someone searches for a particular search term. So really mainly the spiders looking for keywords. Yeah. So it's it's going these are the keywords that people are looking for and then it's looking across the web at all of the different web pages individually and going which pages sort of feature this keyword the most. Mm. At a really basic level, but I guess there are some some rules and like sort of tricks around this as well because I I guess as you said before search engines like Google are constantly changing the way that they they operate to, mm. to optimize the experience for the user. So some of the things that people might have been able to do in the past, which would be, say, putting a keyword in the page multiple times in white text so you can't see it, which, by the way, is called keyword stuffing. Mm. Um, they've now been able to have their spider understand mm. that that's happening and then actually... Not show your page. Yeah, wow. So, so yeah, that's sort of how what it's looking for is is keywords. But there are other things as well. So, it's looking for things like um, passive link attraction. Mm. So this is where your page, I guess, gets more credibility if other pages are linking to your. Page. Mm. So, if you've got a um, you've got a page about fly fishing, say, yep. um, and lots of other web pages about fishing and outdoor sports, when they talk about fly fishing, they say, "Actually, check out this page because mm. it's great," and link to you. That improves the credibility of your site, and therefore you will rank higher as well. So that's mm. called link attraction. Um, and then there's something else called meta tags, um, mm. which is sort of like creating site information and keywords that only computer programs can read in order to facilitate a high ranking. As in, humans will not see it, but you put it there, you tag the page so that Google will pick it up.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. And I think um, some of the key things, I guess, when we think about SEO and and beginning to optimize it, like we have to think about the purpose of like what we're doing mm. and, and why we're doing it in the first place. And I think before we try to spend too much time focusing on the spider <laughs> and trying to learn how it works, which I think will be a whole nother topic for us to <laughs> try and tackle and, and learn about after this podcast. But um, some of the key things you need to think about with any SEO strategy is firstly, like is the different value drivers that will, will, that will connect to that. So you know, regardless of different algorithms changing um, constantly within different uh, search engines, like there are probably going to be four main constants that are important to, to take note of um, throughout all the change. And the first value drive is to think about um, your website or, or your piece of digital media that you're trying to optimize. Um, the second one is to think about the user. So to think about the person that's going to be searching um, for that piece of content as well. Um, the third one is to think about the specific search engine and how mu- that might play out? Like, will there be different optimizations because of different users of different search engines? Mm. Um, And the final one is to think about your business as well. Um, You know, what function does your digital asset outside of search engine optimization actually play um, within your business? And if you can generate value against those four different things, um, you're probably in a really good place to start thinking about SEO as well. Yeah, I think
1: the, the piece around the consumer, so what are they actually looking for? Yeah. And what are they doing? Like if they make this search, what is the end result that they want? If you can think that far ahead and then provide them with that, because if you optimize your page to turn mm. up as, you know, a top ranking site when someone makes a certain search, but then they click on you and the content that's there isn't really what they want anyway, then yeah. you've sort of wasted your time getting there. Yeah. Uh, so it's getting the click is, is only half the battle. It's it's also about understanding what's the user journey and, and what do they want to see. You know, if, if, as we said, it's a sort of really top of funnel query yeah. that they've made, how are you going to understand that that is the type of query and they just want more information, therefore you might want content that has lots of text and lots of detail. And whereas if they're asking for how much does this cost mm. or something quite specific, how do you make that as simple as possible when they click on your site that the answer is right at the top?
0: No, definitely. I think it's um yeah really important principles I think it leads us to some of the key metrics we want to think about mm. when it comes to SEO. And to be really honest, like I have heard about these different metrics before doing this research and either didn't fully understand them or just like uh, would say them a lot and maybe not. (laughs) I thought you sounded so smart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I feel like in any, when you try to learn like more about digital marketing, like you will um, search for it and oftentimes different metrics come up. And I think there are so many metrics and some of them can, are really important and really useful, but some of them um, maybe in the scheme of big data might not be, as useful so mm. thought about the top five metrics which will be give you a great starting point to start mm. to understand um, SEO and start to optimize from it and I think the first one is your click-through rate so when people are searching for you um, are they clicking through to your digital asset I think it's a really good uh, start to think about you know are you creating good content in the first place is it relevant to that human being that's searching for it I think the next uh, key metric to think about is the bounce rate so once they are clicking through um, how many people are just clicking on it seeing your content and then leaving mm. um, and that's such an important metric to think about because sometimes that could be because of the content But it could also sometimes be because the tech um, that you're actually putting up there and and the backend um, that's supporting your content and hosting it live. Maybe your website honestly just takes a really long time to load. That your articles are fantastic. Your um, marketing podcast that you put out is awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if the website that hosts it isn't good, people can't really access it and therefore they're going to leave because anything above two seconds is not fast enough, really, in this world. Yeah, maybe it's just not cool. I mean, yeah, it's, it's
1: almost like I don't know if, if you ever, maybe when you were eighteen, you went into a nightclub and you couldn't tell from the outside whether it was good or not inside, so you yeah. waited in the line and then you went in and there was just no one there, and then you just left. <laughs> it's sort of like that, isn't it? You've gotten to the web page and it's yeah. just kind of crap, so you've just
0: left. Yeah, it's just like it's just one guy just like DJing <laughs> in the corner of like an iPod shuffle, <laughs> just like. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So yeah, then uh, following that, I think it's really important to think about time spent on page. So similar to, you know, are people going to spend an an all night at this awesome nightclub, which is um, your website or your piece of digital media? Mm. Or um, are they just going to spend a really short amount of time? And there could be different reasons for that. There could be because the content, the type of content you're putting up is actually suited for short form. Mm. And that having people not spend a lot of time on your site or your page um might not actually be a bad thing um but having that context is really important because mm. if it is content that's made, meant to be um digested and there are there are uh, lots of different reasons for different links and going to different pieces of uh content on your page you may want to try to find ways to increase that mm. um the next part is also um uh uh, user engagement so like are they are people posting um, reviews or um, sharing it with their friends and mm-hmm. if, is that a function is does your digital asset actually enable that functionality as well because not only is that gonna rank really well within your um, search engine results but it's also just good to know that you're um, sweating your content as well so yeah. it's a, a kind of a win-win from that perspective uh, next part is um, pages seen per visit so um, when people are visiting your site uh, how many different pages are they clicking on is there do you have the infrastructure to let people click on different links and give them a reason to Mm. and when they are do they find each of those different pieces of content um interesting i think that's why it's really important to think about your site map as well that are you setting up your user experience um for the person that's visiting it to be as seamless as possible because that will naturally enable that yeah exactly i i think you're right. It really comes down to
1: understanding what the consumer is going to do yeah. uh, or what you want them to do, because that will allow you to choose which of these metrics you actually want to target. And then what I guess is the sort of the number or what's the result that you're targeting within that metric. So yeah. for example, like a click through rate, yeah. if you want someone to, to click through, then um, like what percentage would be a good percent of click through? Yeah. So you can sort of maybe have a look and do some research on within your industry you know, what's a what's a respectable amount mm. uh, and work out then what your benchmark is. Um, and then for things, I think bounce rate is a fairly simple one, just make sure that your site's set up for, for people to visit it and, and sort of serves the purpose of what they're looking for. But then you've got, so time on page, user engagement, pages seen per visit. It really depends on what people are there for. If if you're to get them there to, and you're say, let's say you're an aggregator site for insurance options. Yeah. And you're just giving everyone the 10 best options of insurance. You probably don't want them to hang around for long. You just want them to go, <laughs> wow, there's the information, click through to the where I wanna go and make the conversion. Because maybe your insurance aggregator makes money every time you convert someone from your site to a sale on the yeah. retailer's site. So Definitely. I think, yeah, properly understand what the action is that you want them to take and then go for those metrics accordingly.
0: No, it's, it's um, really important. I think the, the, the final uh, metric that rounds, I think, all these things out is looking at demographic data. Um, so where are people searching from? Um, at what times are they searching? Um, and off what devices? Um, you know, oftentimes people can search for smaller pieces of information on mobile, and if you see the majority of your searches coming from mobile, making sure that your website or your piece of digital content is optimized for mobile will be really important. Mm. But at the same time for other, you know, long form pieces of media or uh, things that require in depth research, maybe they're done from a desktop. Um, And maybe Mm -hmm. you might see more data from from, um, something with a larger screen. And then making sure that you support things like 4K video, if that's something um, that people are watching when they're researching a trip um, mm-hmm. through Milan, Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting insights into what you've I, been looking I, for. I, I just keep watching different episodes of Chef's Table, and I'm uh, like, <laughs> I was this week as well. Uh, I, yeah,
1: I think there's there's another
0: layer here as well,
1: which well two layers, which could be yeah, yeah time of day, but also geo. Um, Targeting so yeah. if uh, say you notice that lots of people are you've got videos on your website, lots of people are vi- viewing those videos in Sydney CBD between the hours of nine and five pm. Mm. They're probably watching on a desktop at work <laughs>
0: <laughs> instead of doing
1: their work. So yeah.
0: you might want to yeah optimize for for desktop consumption yeah no definitely <laughs> um but i think yeah with those as like some starting points of different metrics to think consider about we think that those are pr- a pretty great strong starting point mm. and think about um what other metrics that you will have available from your platforms that will add value to your specific category but also the human being that's searching for it as well mm. um now i think uh in terms of like how do we do seo <laughs> Right. Like we're fired up. (laughs) We've got, we've got some metrics. We're like, great. Like I've got all this energy. Like where do we apply it? Right. Um, I think I I stumbled across an awesome SEO process by, um, from a book called tactical SEO by Lee Wilson. Mm. I think it's a good, uh, step-by-step process to start thinking about. And I think shout out to the book, highly recommend it to anyone wanting to learn a little bit more about SEO after this podcast. But um, there's a, almost like a seven step process. And the first step is to think about um, your analysis. So to, to think about um, setting up some goals and objectives and identifying some key KPIs. Mm-hmm. So using some of the metrics we thought about earlier, you know, what are those key metrics we're gonna be looking for? Um, and being really clear on that upfront and try not to change that throughout this process as mm-hmm. well. Um, from that doing some research and creating a good old-fashioned swot so your strengths your weaknesses your opportunities and your strengths love a SWOT. love a SWOT. we're a big fan of the swot mm. on on the, it's on a the marketing show it really is uh, it's like the 80s hair metal band of the marketing world for very good reason um and within that looking at a swot from your current content um your current tech that you're using to support and host your content um, your, your business as well is really important to think about or your brand um, and then having that really clear um, at, the, at the forefront and also finally doing a SWOT on your current SEO mm. even if you don't know too much about it of the things you do know what do you think is going on um, and doing a SWOT for that at the moment as mm. well uh, then we bleed into uh doing a bit of strategy so creating a bit of a framework and some timelines as to how you're gonna think about achieving this um you're gonna put time aside every friday afternoon to either learn about seo to implement your seo plan as well and, and how you're gonna get that um to go forward the next step is to think about um your the technical aspects of how you're hosting a site so to set up a, a website tech plan um that supports the seo so are there going to be points in time where you're going to be needing faster internet? Do you know in six months' time you want to be hosting 4K video on your site or do you want to be even creating that style of content? and ensuring you have that within your plan as mm. well and, and to be conscious of it. I know for, for this pod, at one, one, one point, I think it'd be really great for us to um, record in a really famous recording studio, <laughs> like like Abbey Road. So mm. um, it'd be important for us within our SEO to, um, to factor that within our plan. Yeah,
1: what to, to be able to hold that sort of audio quality. I
0: think yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the 4K video of the audio world. <laughs> like three gigabyte audio. Next part is to think about um, uh, everything that's happening on site. So um, all of your touch points on site, what are some different things you can do to optimize? Is it going to be from a design perspective, just the colors and the visuals? Is it going to be the UI or the UX, how people are interacting with your your site? And to think about those specific changes next part will be thinking about the things you can optimize off-site um so it'll be different links to different third-party sites um you can you can reach out to but also um your different uh influencer results as well Mm -hmm. and different things like metadata as well so things that aren't directly on your physical website but will influence people to come there yeah and and then the final step is to repeat as to report and refine so take a step back You've gathered all these all these different information. Um, what are they telling you? Um, and what are your next steps going from there? And then to do that, this whole process with that information another time.
1: Yeah, it, it's never ending. Yeah. I think it's, it's good to start with a plan uh, because this stuff doesn't just happen on its own. It does yeah. require a, a bit of work. Having said that though, I, I think, you know, in terms of reporting on what's happening and then yeah. making changes, I think search is an area that you can really sort of, test and learn and then iterate yeah. pretty quickly because whilst there is a little bit of time in setting it up if you're doing it yourself the the cost like dollar investment mm. is actually pretty low especially mm. for the seo part and we can talk about sem after but uh yes yeah, so i think it's when you're starting out, like we're starting a podcast and we want to perhaps dive into SEO after this, (laughs) I know I'm excited Yeah, Um, and we can report back uh, on on future podcasts. Uh, I think that, yeah, we should be sort of testing and having that time in place every week to then go, well, what's working and looking at those metrics we've decided that are important to us. And then if we're not hitting a metric, just iterate and just keep changing until we get it right.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's some awesome tangible tools for us to to learn about this. And um, when we was doing research for this this episode, like I you know, that like there is a lot of um, weird guides and a lot of weird free trials and contexts mm. to, to learn about SEO, which have probably used SEO in a weird way to get their guides up in the search rankings. <laughs> so, so I think a, a quick plug I'd like to make is to Google's Digital Garage program, which is a free uh, digital marketing course which you can sign up to for Google, which will give you a pretty awesome certification if you do mm. decide to complete it. Um, and there's an awesome SEO component to that, which um, obviously will relate to Google, but I think those fundamentals will definitely spill over to um, other search engines as well. Uh, And I think markets, I think it'd be an awesome thing for us to just sign up and and do and report back on this podcast.
1: Yeah, no, I've already, I'm signed up. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Google Google Garage. (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: I'm excited. I think that's
1: such a great shout is to sort of go to the experts and and, and learn from them. I think as well, you know, we were talking about this earlier and... Uh, to have this sort of on the LinkedIn profile might help you optimize your ranking when uh, potential recruiters are looking to hire you. Um, and you've got this Google certification in your profile. So yeah, it's a little bit sort of... Maybe, yeah.
0: yeah, well, always learning. <laughs> um, I guess to round out SEO as well, I think it's also speaking of experts and you know, guides you can have and people you can hire. I think it's also important to think about like who's going to be doing the SEO um, are you going to be doing it yourself if you're a sole trader and, and you're one person that runs a small brand? Um, are you going to be hiring an agency or are you going to hire like a really smart SEO person just to sit full time within your brand or your business? And I think um, there are different benefits to, to all of them. I think if you do it yourself, it's going to be pretty cool because it's a very interesting skill to learn. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think... Oftentimes people will hire SEO experts in-house because hiring one person to do it full-time maybe is a little bit cheaper. Mm. And you also get another cool person to add to your team if you're a small startup, for example. But um, a lot of times people will hire agencies to do SEO. Mm. um, And even though they are more expensive, um, some of the benefits you get with that is that because as we know, um, search engines are always changing algorithms and it's a thing we're all trying to learn about as it constantly evolves, the agency might have a little bit more flex um, and leeway and more resources um, to understand those learnings at a faster rate for your business.
1: Yeah, and and we're saying as well that they might have a relationship with the search yeah. engines as well, so they might foresee any changes coming, which maybe someone working on their own for you might not have that access. I think as well, it's... It's important that no matter what, you also have a good understanding. Yeah. I think us doing this this pod is a really great starting point. But if you're going to hire someone or even work with an agency and you don't know what you're talking about, they just can pull the wool over your eyes and yeah. you know, maybe charge your fortune for something you don't need. So uh, I think it's important that at a base level, you do have an understanding of at least how it works. Mm.
0: No, definitely. I think I think it's so important us to continue on our learning journey. Mm. <laughs> Um, so I guess in terms of uh, SE, we've spoken about SEO and um, SEO optimization uh, Mark is there anything else you think we should be thinking about as, as brands or, or businesses within the space of SEO
1: look I think with SEO uh, I'll, the only thing I'd say is I came across a lot of uh, I guess sort of black hat techniques that yeah. people sort of employ. And, and, and I think that maybe some of those sites that come up when you search for this and they're like, you know, get a million users in one day. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of site by by SEO practices uh, maybe using some of these. And I think it's just a flag to say that it's all well and good to try and use these, I guess, underhand techniques to sort of falsely boost your page up to be a top ranking page. But Mm. at the end of the day, if you don't have the content there that people are looking for, they're just gonna bounce straight off your page anyway. So there's a bunch of techniques. I don't even think, we we mentioned things like word stuffing or keyword stuffing. It's not even worth going into them, but it's just a note to say, you know, it's it's we're running a marathon here, not a sprint, and we yeah. want we want the long term sort of growth. So much better to invest in doing things properly.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of an awesome, I think, awesome key takeaway um, from SEOs that yes, it is something that is kind of ever evolving and can seem quite complex. Mm. Um, but I think the the cool thing is if you focus on your circle of influence, and that circle of influence being creating awesome content um, that relates to the human beings that are going to be digesting that. The rest will kind of sort itself out. Mm. So yeah, I think that's that, it's, it's that sort, is such yeah. a great
1: point as well it? it is a human being. yeah, coming to find this information or content that you've got. So make sure it's crafted for humans. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so thank you to the fly fishing experts. <laughs> which came which came up um, on the all of my search rankings on YouTube this week. Um, now, uh, we've spoken about SEO. Um, which is uh, a really important first step within the world of search. But I think it's really important now that we move into SEM, which mm. is search engine marketing. So you've done all the hard yards, you've made the most amazing content, you've uh, made sure you've positioned that hard work into a really good place and you're generating some awesome um, traffic. But now it's time to like really accelerate that as much as possible and um, do some awesome marketing. The, the two important words will say out front this is that sem gets split into obviously sem but it's also sometimes referred to as ppc or pay-per-click mm. advertising so if you see those two words come up oftentimes they are referring to the same or very similar things mm. um but i guess within the awesome world of, of sem you kind of have two main styles of uh content that you will purchase so two main types of advertising which you'll buy for pay-per-click and what that means is that Every time someone sees your ad and they click on it, you'll pay a small fee um, for, for that click. Um, and there's two main, t- main types for that. And one of them are uh, yeah, search ads. So ads that appear as text within search engines. Um, And the second one being display ads. So Mm. those are ads which will come up on other uh, content sites when people are searching for you. So if you're ever scrolling through a recipe list, for example, and you see uh, a small banner ad that's following you to buy a chicken at a supermarket retail that's close to you, chances are it's probably a display ad. Um, And that'll also get bought through the same ecosystem.
1: Yeah, I think important as well with display ads to make the distinction between a display ad which is like a search display ad. So it's being put there because you've searched for something specific and like a retargeted or demographic sort of targeted display ad which you might have looked at a cooking recipe yesterday and now you're looking at shoes and you're getting recipe ads say there. Yeah. So I think it's just important to to note that they are two different types of
0: ad. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's advantages and disadvantages to both, right? Because if we're sitting here, we've got all the energy to do some SEM. We don't really know where to put our money. Um, the chances are the right mix is going to be really important. You, mm. It's rare that you will put, um, if you have a medium to small to medium sized budget, and if you have the opportunity to spread it out, you're going to want to put a, you know, a different amount into each. But in terms of the different functions that they serve so search ads are really great for um people that are like quite down the funnel that they Mm. know that they are looking for something quite specific um and they're already quite interested in it so if you think about the salmon analogy the river is flowing really fast at this point and there are (laughs) lots of salmon and they know exactly where they want to (laughs) go so i think the um the, the the thing that comes with that is that they often has a high conversion rate, which means that people will see the search, um, the search ad and click through. Yeah. And oftentimes if they click through your content's great, they'll probably uh, complete the action that you're after. Mm. Um, but the result of that is that oftentimes that can be quite expensive relative uh, to display right. ads. So the cost per click is often higher. So every time someone clicks on it, it's probably gonna be more expensive than a display ad. Um, and, The reason for that is that because display ads um, are often people that are kind of researching or just engaging with other pieces of content that they're not really directly looking maybe for the thing that you're selling or promoting. Mm. Um, So you often use display ads in a large or already competitive market because it's a really easy way to increase market share because Mm. people generally know um, about the different pieces of content um, and they will know your ad if they see it, which is a really, really cool thing. Mm.
1: I think, um, look, you make a really yeah. good point around the distinction between, I guess, your your um, text ads in search engines and then your display ads in mm. the different roles. And I think it, it opens up to a, a broader um, topic of, none of this sits on its own. I think yeah. you need to do this as part of a broader campaign or or just overall always on approach with marketing your um, product or service. So, if you only did SEO, you're really limiting yourself. And it's mm. the same with SEM. If you're only doing um, some pay-per-click ads, then that you really need to make sure that it's part of something that has, I guess, a bit of strategy behind it. So is there an awareness element at the top of the funnel where you're going to drive awareness through perhaps some display ads or yeah. some other forms of, of media outside of search engines? Is that then going to drive people to search about what you're selling. And then you've mm. got the content that's optimized for SEO so that they can then read. And, and then down the funnel, if they're interested in what you've got, do you have either the right sort of setup on your website to get them to click through and convert or send them somewhere else? Or do you later have those SEM ads there that they can use to convert? But I think it's a really good point to make that it's not these things on its own that makes a great campaign. These are like the, the underlying foundations of what makes a great campaign.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think the cool thing will be um, to test and learn throughout the entire campaign mm. um, so that when you're monitoring your data and you see something is working and something isn't as working, doing another micro test, which is low risk to see if the thing that is working will work more if you put a little bit more effort mm. and spend behind it. So finding the right mix between these two types of um, uh, PPC methods um will be a cool journey and it'll be it's almost like a video game so treat it as a fun exercise yeah yeah (laughs) exactly if you think of anything as a video game it's fun um
1: something i found as well uh we we sort of talked about targeting in terms of when we're looking at seo and Mm. when are people sort of viewing your content or interacting with your page and i I think geo-targeting makes a lot of sense within sem as well Mm. because the the Barrier to entry into these ads is low because the cost per click might be a dollar or less. Mm. Uh, but that quickly adds up if mm. a lot of people are hopefully clicking and, and, and going through with the action you want them to make. So it's just important to think, how do I still optimize or be most efficient with that spend on, on this media form? So if you can understand that if you're a service that can only be used in Sydney, don't pay to have your search ads be you know available to anyone who's in Queensland or, or in Victoria. <laughs> you know, make sure that you still geo target because it's it's one thing to get it right from a targeting perspective of they're searching for these keywords, yeah. therefore I want to be there. But also you still need to take into account the traditional targeting methodologies as
0: well. Yeah, definitely and this is definitely um, and especially relevant insight for local businesses, mm. right? And um, if you're just, and also if you're a brand or a business that has physical goods that need to be shipped to different places, even though your hub might be in a certain area, you could still geotarget to people that could receive your shipment um, mm. within the postal network or within um, your shipping range as well. Yeah. Um, but to obviously, if you can't ship overseas um, and you're an e-commerce style product. Um, probably don't want to be geotargeting to those areas at all.
1: Yeah, and, and on the flip side as well, if, yeah. if if maybe you're, I don't know, a podcast yeah, uh, that, you know, can be pretty much consumed in any country that speaks... English say yeah. you might want to broaden that bad boy right out so that you can become big in other markets and you never know you might you know be big in India uh, bigger in India than you are in your home country
0: yeah and I think it's definitely um, a point in time for us to just thank all of our international listeners <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're uh, currently listening to the podcast outside of Australia thank you it's awesome um and yeah tell your friends and, and leave us a, a comment or a review where I'm um, really excited to have you as part of our learning club
1: yeah exactly and different perspectives from you know different cultures is always super interesting and insightful.
0: Yeah, exactly. It. Mm. Um, now for SEO and SEM, I think it was a pretty awesome overview and, and learning journey. Um, how have other people applied these principles, Mark, in other businesses?
1: Yeah, I've, I actually found quite a few interesting case studies here. Um, I Overall, I found it hard to find uh, specifically SEO-only case studies. Mm. Usually it forms a base of a bigger campaign, but sometimes it still is the key... Uh, I guess, media form that brings it all together. Mm. Um, So I found uh, a Budweiser campaign that they called Tag Words. Uh, So the insight that Budweiser had was that there's heaps of really famous images of musicians drinking or using Budweiser cans um, through sort of the rock and roll heydays of the 60s, 70s, Mm. and 80s. Um, And they sort of wanted to integrate themselves into that music scene uh, as a beer and a beverage, but to pay for all of these sponsorship deals and rights for all of these photos of say, Jimi Hendrix playing slide guitar with a Budweiser can, which does exist, it's a pretty cool image, awesome. um, it would cost them a lot of money and they yeah. probably couldn't afford to do it with you know every image that's out there. So they actually uh, came up with a, an idea, which was they they used a media campaign where they had outdoor placements, print ads, a lot of sort of social stuff, and the key message they used was to encourage people to go to google or another search engine and search for specific musicians that would be that had budweiser's in those photos so as an example um they might say on the print ad search jimi hendrix slide guitar 1986 and then if someone searches that in google it comes up with an image or an article that links to the image of Jimi Hendrix playing slide guitar with a beer That's can. That's awesome. Um, so it's it's a way that they were able to drive a really great association with music um, and really famous images without ever using one. Mm. In a way, they didn't they didn't ever have to create the content, pay for it, or anything like that. So I thought it was a really great way of integrating strong SEO and even just having an understanding of trends and what's out there about your brand and leveraging that with a with a integrated campaign. Mm. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Um, There was actually a kind of cool... Off the back of that, a cool SEM um, campaign that took place. They worked together. So as this happened, there was a a Swedish beer brand uh, called Norland's Gould. Um, It's my favorite. Oh, yeah. Nothing like finishing a long, hard day. day. Yeah, cold Norland's Gould (laughs) at the end of a Friday. (laughs) Um, So they they had the insight that lots of beer drinkers who drink Budweiser currently or, or are switching Budweiser were Googling for specific phrases. Yeah. Um, so they bought paid search ads against those keywords. Uh, and then the ad that would appear would be, Hey, instead of Googling stuff, just have a cold beer, cheers, bud. <laughs> 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 and like all of these really witty, funny yeah, sort of fun. phrases against all the different, um, terms. So really great way to sort of understand what's trending and what's relevant to your brand and then jumping right on that to, to capitalize
0: yeah it's a really really um awesome case study it's almost like our fascination with um burger king and mcdonald's yeah Though it's i think it's always awesome when you see um a potentially smaller brand leverage or react to a bigger brands campaign yeah um either take the learnings but also tap into that uh, the cultural resources as well that come with it.
1: Yeah, look, Budweiser v. Norland's School is the yeah the Macca's v. Burger King of the of the alcohol world. Yeah, definitely. Have thought.
0: Yeah, nice one. Um, I found uh, an interesting case study on Casper mattresses as well. Mm. Um, so if you don't know uh, Casper mattresses, they are a direct to consumer mattress brand, um, from the U.S. And I just think it's one of those. First, I think that the online mattress world is. Awesome. Like, I think it's so interesting that if you think about the world, the mattress industry before digital disruption, like it was kind of limited to like a salesperson in either a big warehouse with a whole Mm. bunch of mattresses um, lying around or a a discount mall somewhere. And what these guys have done is they've created uh, one mattress size, which is kind of the perfect mattress, which they can ship direct to your door um, in a very little time within the U.S., Um, And they have a lot of similar players now. um, And there's a lot of different local examples which have popped up around the world, but these guys are the ones that really cracked the uh, search engine and digital marketing Mm. sphere within this industry. Um, So they were founded in 2014. um, And the cool thing was is that people were constantly researching mattresses online. Mm. Um, The experts you had to talk about getting a new mattress was either a friend that had a certain mattress that they were sleeping on, or the salesperson, which you didn't really know if you could trust. So yeah. Casper really took over the, uh, both the SEO and the SEM world. So the first thing they did is that they knew people were going to be searching for mattresses, um, and they created really awesome and funny relevant content for mm. when people did land on their pages. and. One of my favorite ways in which they um, did this is that they created a limited uh, uh, Casper website that was linked to their main website. Mm. And it was a website that specialized in late night Snapchat hacks. So it it was full of different instructional ways in which people could uh, make it seem like they were at a party on Snapchat um, while realistically they were just cozy in bed. (laughs) 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 which I think was an awesome and hilarious piece of content that, um, really helped their SEO strategy, um, Mm. longer term because lots of people were engaging with it and it was also relevant to them as a mattress brand, which I think is really cool. Um, then they also launched a long form, uh, ongoing web publication called Van Winkle's devoted, uh, devoted to the sleep and study of all things sleep. Um, and, uh, they that kind of positioned them as an expert. So by content, by mm. always creating this really relevant content um, that was quality but also quite informational, um, it had really helped their search rankings when people were searching for mattresses. Um, and off the back of that, whenever they people did see their search engine marketing, um, advertising around the internet, it really helped to convert their users as well. Mm. Um, but my favorite part about their SEO and SEM strategy is the way they linked it to the world of traditional marketing. So. They actually went out with a really large um, out-of-home marketing uh, campaign mm. when, they first, um, when they first established themselves in the US. But by the time they purchased a lot of bus shelter ads, which were also quite kooky and funny, you didn't really know if they were from a matches brand, but they were quite disruptive. When people Googled what the brand was or what they were doing, they already had all this amazing SEO and SEM infrastructure yeah. already set up so it just resulted in some awesome high conversion rates and meant that they were going to be the leaders and the front runners within this direct to consumer space
1: yeah i think it's they've nailed so many of those fundamentals that we were talking about so they understood what the the consumer was doing and where the consumer's head was at which was it requires a bit of trust yeah uh, when buying mattresses and it's a, a high investment purchase so they wanted to i guess position themselves as experts and create content. And I guess the metrics that they'd be looking for on their website was, you know, that linger time, Mm. how many pages did they look at, um, et cetera. If they want people at that top of the funnel to feel comfortable with this brand or that they sort of, this brand knows what they're talking about. And then you're right, it it links so well down the funnel once the person Mm. had built that trust into conversion quite easily and and using the sort of integrated campaign outside of that. I, I personally think that, this model of direct-to-consumer with mattresses which is so normalized now Mm. has really shone the light on how weird it is to buy a mattress in a store (laughs) because it's just like this big space with all of these beds (laughs) that look exactly the same and this guy who's somehow a mattress salesman which like how do you qualify for that sort of (laughs) telling you to lie down constantly in the middle of your day it's a
0: very like vulnerable exercise right like
1: (laughs) It's very weird, but then also the fact that they've gone direct to consumer, which means that they don't have to have this giant showroom, which would <laughs> yeah. cost a bomb,
0: you know, in rent, is is just so smart. I know, right? And it's I think the the cool thing about their um, SEO strategy and positioning themselves as experts is that you know in the I guess we could call it the analog world, which is like the non digital world. Um, it's pretty hard to position yourself as a mattress expert, right? Like okay. if you're a mattress salesman like, are you gonna sit around and be like, hey, trust me, this one's awesome. I've slept on every mattress in here. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of sleeping okay. and this one is an absolute ripper of a mattress. Mm. Um, so I think by, you know, when you have an awesome website that's set up with all this great pieces of content which people have been driven to, but then you're also doing the fundamental of having some great ratings and reviews on your site. Mm that automatically positions your brand as being an expert. So, yeah, yeah, hats off to Casper. I think inadvertently as
1: well, what they've done is, you know, the, the mattresses from what I can tell are very good at Casper and, and yeah. other brands as well. And um, they prompt people to leave reviews. Mm. So, then it's sort of like this, this cycle, right? Because then people will search best quality mattress, mattress. or softest mattress or whatever and there'll be a review that has Mm. that information that will then help Casper to rank highly again so it's really sort of a nice nice sort of virtuous cycle there
0: yeah and you know how much we love a flywheel um, on the marketing (laughs) show and I think the best part about the ratings and review flywheel for SEO specifically is not only the function um, of people leaving a review um, if it's a positive review is automatically going to help you in your search rankings just because you have a lot of reviews and you have a lot of engagement Mm. But the best part of it is that when people leave written reviews along with maybe a star rating, the content in the written review kind of counts as content. Mm. <laughs> that people it will rank against potential search terms if the search engine that it lives in is going to... Um, leverage that which i think is awesome as well
1: yeah and i just think reading reviews of mattresses are quite funny yeah like (laughs) i had the best night's sleep on this mattress i can't tell you what it was like because i was asleep yeah
0: it was great (laughs) here's a photo of my dream journal
1: (laughs) it's literally like reviewing a mattress is just telling people how you felt when you woke
0: up yeah you can't it's very difficult to give live (laughs) feedback if you think about it
1: Um, that's a, that's a really cool example. I actually have a couple of other case studies yeah. as well, because I felt like this was kind of rich territory when you dive into it with SEM specifically. Um, this one's a a little bit of a serious one, but I thought it was a cool mm. idea. So, um, I think it was 2008, there was a really big oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico from, uh, BP. Um, so what they realized was that this was a really bad thing that happened and and hard for them to to control. Mm. But what they realized is there was heaps of news and claims and opinions just swirling around the internet, Mm. which they had no control over. And and rightly or wrongly, they they felt like they should be able to at least control the narrative and and give their version of events. So what they did was they actually uh, went for a search campaign where they bought... Um, pay-per-click ads um, for all of the keywords that people were typing at the time. So they looked at the search trends and, and bought against those. They spent about a million bucks in one month yeah, uh, wow. just on search ads. Um, and, and what it was was it allowed, when someone searched, you know, BP oil spill it, the first thing that came up was BP saying this is the action we're taking or this is what's happened and this is Mm. what we're doing about it. So they could control the narrative and show that they're being proactive and try and recover a little bit of I guess brand sentiment if there is any left at that point. Um, I think execution wise it was a little bit lame. So Mm. if if I looked at sort of the page that led you to once you clicked and it was very much just legal jargon. So their lawyers had sort of crafted this page of exactly what they could say and and try to cover themselves but i think it goes back to what we were saying before is it's humans looking at this so your Mm. landing page needs to be made for humans not other lawyers Mm. Um, so i think execution was a bit weak but really interesting way to tackle an issue that's popped up Mm. Um, and we said right up the top that google search trends sort of show what's happening in the world at that Mm. moment so anything that sort of pops up and becomes part of the i guess social fabric at that point Search is a great way to, to get in there and to jump on that. Um, the other one I found, which I think everybody probably knows about this one, but I think it's a great one, yeah. is the Snickers You're Not You When You're Hungry. Yeah. So they had the insight that people who are a bit tired or low in energy, when they Google searching or Bing mm. searching something, um, they misspell words. Mm. Um, so when you when you um, misspell a words, Snickers had bought ads against those misspelled words, mm. um, like weather spelled without the A or... Um, you know, "ghoul" instead of "cool" mm. things like that, um, and you were served with an ad that said, "Hey, you're not you when you're hungry." Yeah. And the Snickers, um, really well, sort of um, positioned in terms of the core concept and idea of the campaign, and that was just a great execution. Again, it was linked into a total campaign. So, you, "You're not you when you're hungry" has been going on for years. It's a really, really great campaign, mm. and this was just another iteration of how you could bring it to life. I think by itself, maybe it wouldn't be that impactful because how often do people misspell words or how are they going to make the link between you know misspelling the word and seeing the ad or are they just thinking the ad is being served Mm. in general on on google so but as part of a campaign i think it worked really well
0: yeah definitely it's a really classic campaign for a reason Mm. um yeah that's awesome (laughs) um now uh, i guess as as marketers mark we know that um We've learned a lot about search engine marketing um, and also search engine optimization today. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to stay curious in, in, in the rest of what outside of marketing. And what have you found interesting this week? Yeah, I've got um, a couple of things, a couple of updates yeah. uh, on my life.
1: Uh, I moved apartments a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and nice. as part of that, I've caught the ferry to work a couple of times. Wow. Yeah, so just a bit of fun. I just thought I'd mention that it's great to catch the ferry it sometimes. It's probably the
0: greatest form of public transport.
1: Yeah, I'm still riding to work, but maybe once a week I'm getting a yeah, ferry. Nice. Um, like Ferry Friday is quite nice. That's fun. Yeah, so so yeah, just, just thought I'd say, you know, catch a ferry every now and then. I also had my coldest morning swim yet. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so I, I swam, I think it was Tuesday morning, and
0: yeah pretty chilly yeah wow um, how, how cold was it
1: I actually don't know yeah. temperature wise I just it felt it was cold yeah yeah I think it was the first time that I got in the water and and of this winter and thought this is actually really cold up until now I felt like it's like oh it's cold but once you get mm. in it's okay and and once you get out you sort of have this weird blanket around you of, yeah. the, of the water that keeps you warm strangely so yeah cold to swim yet but still loving it um but I Really, the thing that I found this week that was quite interesting is I found a new podcast. Um, Nice. uh, So, plug to a podcast called Face to Face. Uh, Cool. I believe it's an Aussie one. Uh, Essentially, these guys have um, CMOs from big companies on there, and they, they just talk about case studies and interviews and things like that I listened to one episode this morning which was uh, an, uh, a case study on a car sales campaign mm. uh, where they had, they wanted to make a car ad mm. but for people who are uploading secondhand cars because they had the insight that people who upload their car to car sales to sell then mm. usually link it to Facebook yeah. so why not give them an ad that's made for that's them that features awesome. them and their car and some of the attributes of the car or the lifestyle yeah. it has? I think it was like it was this sort of AI-driven model where yeah. they, ha- they had these base ads that they filmed and yeah. then it just changes based on your info. Um, and it was something like, you could have up to like a trillion different versions wow. of this ad. It was pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, really interesting. We just say it's always great to learn about other case studies. We talk about case studies and it, this helps to open our eyes up to, to more. Um, and yeah, just shout out to the agency as well that worked on that. It was an agency called SHEP, cool. S-H-E-P in Melbourne.
0: Nice. Yeah, sounds awesome. I'll definitely have to check it out.
1: Yeah, go for it. But um, what did you find interesting this week?
0: Yeah, look, um, the Tour de France is going on at the moment. Mm. Um, it's one of the like, it's, I would call it a niche sporting event, but it's been it's watched by many many people it's around around the world. It's huge. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been getting really into it. Like, I've just been finding it very interesting.
1: Just to clarify, you yeah. you're not really a cyclist. No,
0: I I, I, can't, I, I can't tell. That, say the last time I cycle um but i think as an outsider it's just so fascinating Mm. i think firstly just the entire concept that like just a bunch of guys we're gonna ride through a very difficult path and a difficult terrain through a country like Mm. that as a physical challenge is like mind-blowingly awesome but also very inspiring um i think the learning a little bit about the history behind it um as you're watching the race i think is really cool like it's almost an excuse to learn about different parts of french history and different french regions as people ride through the Mm. different villages and um as much as you're watching it for like the the physical race you kind of get to also see some really cool scenery like i Mm. feel like every night that i'm watching the highlights of it like i'm seeing a different part of the world like it's a really cool way to, to see that Um, But also learning about the history of the race itself, like it's a pretty awesome story. Like it started um, in uh, 1903 in France, actually as a marketing tactic to increase sales and distribution of a French newspaper, which is awesome. It's like the greatest marketing campaign of all time um, when they didn't have access to SEM and SEO. (laughs) (laughs) So the newspaper Lotto, um, they had to do this crazy event where they rode their bikes around France to increase distribution awareness of their newspaper, Mm. um, which is awesome. And um, only 24 entrants actually finished the first Tour de France. Like, if you think about the bikes and technology and and different things that happen in the modern-day Tour de France, like, these guys did not have access to any of that stuff in 1903. Mm. And because of that, like, they didn't even have access to, like, the most amazing nutrition or, like, Electrolyte sports drinks, for example, mm. to keep them hydrated or to fuel them throughout the race. Um, in fact, up until uh, the 1960s, participants and athletes of those Waterfronts would often actually drink alcohol before it was banned in the race because it helped them with the pain that came from um, racing within the race. So, pretty well, that was a pretty crazy piece of history as well. That's pretty lit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, because it's a huge physical feat, the average cyclist within the Tour de France will actually burn the equivalent of two hundred and fifty two McDonald's double cheeseburgers throughout the entire series, mm-hmm. um, which is huge. So, yeah, if you if you if you're looking for um, a new challenge, the Tour de France, while maybe it might not be for everyone, um, <laughs> interesting thing to think about.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Hey, and the how far is it, like three thousand kilometers. Yeah, 4, so, yeah kilometers, something yeah. like that. It's like. Going
0: to Queensland from Sydney and back a couple of times. Like, just nuts. And the best stages, which I'm looking forward to the most, are the ones where they're going through alpine regions and Mm. they're riding in these, like, amazing mountain roads. But on these bicycles, which are, like, so aerodynamic and light Mm. and skinny, and they've got these tiny, like, tyres on them, but they're going, like, 60 to 70 kilometres per hour. Like, they're just absolutely sending it through the mountains. And... I think it's like, it is so exciting. Like it's not like, like that's like a motorcycle speeds, with like not a lot of crash protection. Yeah. <laughs> like a crazy. lot could, a lot could
1: go wrong. And the tech, as well, as you said, like I was reading an article this week about the, like the top bikes yeah. that are being used by different riders. And some of these bikes weigh like seven kilograms or less, yeah. which is amazing. If you think about like the thing that it is, it's a big bike
0: and it just weighs nothing. And they're made out of carbon fiber. It's, it's like formula one for cycling. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And um, special plug, though, if you are watching in Australia and if you're able to watch it from abroad, there's an awesome SBS series, which has been uh, ongoing um, since the Tour de France has been aired for a long time in Australia, and it's called Taste de la Tour. Um, and it's an awesome little segment where uh, before each race, um, they'll showcase the region where the riders will be racing through, and they'll talk to some of the locals and learn a little about the history, but also, most importantly, the food that's from that region and learning just how like rich the um, cuisine culture is in France and how each tiny region, even if it's just a couple of kilometers away, um, is and can have a different specialty. Mm. Um, really cool way to learn about it. And I think they're on their final season uh, of uh, the series this year. So please check it out if you get a chance.
1: Wow, I think they've really understood the trends, the search trends around Tour de France and, yeah. <laughs> and
0: made some content that optimizes well against those um, keywords. Exactly it. <laughs> well, guys, it's been um, an awesome uh, uh, time learning Learning, uh on our learning journey um and if you like the episode uh please leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts and uh, tell your friends yes please thank you very much thank you